Today, we're talking to Bill Tingle about choosing your words carefully and best practices for delegating tasks. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. And can you, before we forget, can you put a thing on the calendar or something real quick? We got to repair that HDMI cable or replace it. Well, that goes back to what you taught me and I talked about. Yeah. To do it now. <laughs> you got to do it right now. Yeah. If you don't do it now, you forget. This is true. Yes. So. Now, so you made a request of him. That's part of what I talk about in Syntactions is like you made a request. Yeah. All right. Was there, uh, was there enough information that request for him to do it exactly like he wanted to do it? Yes. I, I believe so. You can tell me no, but. Well, part of the, part of the effective request is understanding the person that you're making the request of. There's, there's, there's background and context. So you make the assumption around. So if every time you buy, every time you all buy an HDMI cable, it's always this grade, this, this brand, this length, then you can trust, you probably trust he's going to do it. But if you leave those out, he might buy a 12-foot HDMI cable, and you meant that you wanted a 24-foot HDMI cable, and he, you were not satisfied because he didn't deliver on the conditions of satisfaction, although your request wasn't complete. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's the kind of thing. And you know, it's the sort of thing I like talking about where one of the reasons there's so much waste, rework, failure in projects is that people aren't complete with their requests, but they don't think about it. You know, we just do it. It's like, hey, you know, could you bring me a coffee on Friday, Friday morning? Yeah, and I'm waiting at 7.30 for my coffee, and you show up at 10. It's like, man, I thought you were going to be here at 7.30 with my coffee. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the things that we do have in our culture is we stop in meetings, and we put things in the calendar right away. That's what you are telling me about yeah. that. And, for example, like that request, I guess it went without... Let's ask Josh. Now, when you made that, let's talk about it. Let's give him Yeah, yeah, this is like an exercise. When you were going to do that, were you going to set the meeting to talk to me about it, or were you going to set the meeting to actually go make the purchase? I I think I would have set the meeting to make the purchase. Okay, yeah. But you know, I could have, you you could have said, hey, Josh, um, could you order an ABC brand HDMI cable, the the model that we usually get, but I want it in 24 feet, and I need it by Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. Would you be able to do that, Josh? Yeah, I commit. I'll have that done. Great, we're done. And we didn't set up a meeting to talk about it, but I made a request. I think everything was there, and the conditions of satisfaction are: I wanted this brand. What's the what's the what's the, what's the top popular brand? I'm I don't even know. Now. Yeah, there's a lot Monster. of them now. Mon- yeah, yeah, yes. that might not be high quality now. But uh, I need you know. It's like you guys know Monster. You said 24 foot Saturday morning, 8 a.m. You're both in Central Time, so you know you have enough information, and then it's just done. Yes. And then if he doesn't deliver, then we've got an issue with reliability, which you're going to have to talk about because trustworthiness requires reliability. Yeah. So all this stuff just fits. It's just pretty. It's like, and the thing I mentioned earlier, it's like, uh, what are the things we can learn from computers? Right. Because we're always talking about what computers learn from us. But it's like, what are the things we can learn from computers? I mean, and it's really what can we learn from how we've, how we've designed and implemented computers? And you start thinking about that. There's a lot of things, actually. It was a lot of growth and self-development for me in my first serious relationship, which was with my wife, right? Mm-hmm. I would sit there and write code all day, and then I'd go interact with her, and she does not have debug log outputs. <laughs> and if I tell her something once, she doesn't continue to loop that until <laughs> infin- infinity. Right. And so I just had to make these conscious mind shifts that, okay, I'm done talking to computers. Now I'm going to talk to humans. Yeah. That was hard for me. Right? 
right? And the thing, the thing about talking to computer, are we on? Yeah, yeah, we're recording. Okay. I mean, around last time we just started, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you and you use some of that, right? All of it, right? yeah. Okay, yeah, I love it. I love it. So the thing about computers, I mean, I started out as a software engineer, you know, and and my first my first programming job, I was assembler, which was totally cool, and assembler any high level language. I I don't I'm not up to speed on all the current high level languages because it's been a while, but one thing I knew is that every language came with syntax. And there were only so many commands, only the language was finite. And if you didn't type in the language as intended, number one, it may not compile. And so number two, if it compiled, it doesn't mean it was going to be correct. And in order for get, you know, for to get computers to do what we want them to do, we have to construct language that is our intentions and the computer will accept it, right? And then, you know, if we have bugs, it doesn't want to do. Well, think about how people communicate with each other. We have language. And everything we do is in language. We we invent, we declare, we generate everything. And in fact, language is action. You make things happen. If you delegate, that's a request, that's action, and you get things done through language. But if we're not complete and accurate and clear and concise with our language, we may not get what we intended. Right? And when and when people don't respond as we as we want. We can have problems in terms of not getting what we want. We have trust relationships. We have reliability, and and we have rework and waste. And so, it's I've just been thinking a lot about that in terms of what I do in my leadership practice. So let's go deeper with the the Josh example. So him and I have been working together for a while, mm-hmm. and when it comes to equipment, he is the guy, mm-hmm. right? So I defer to him on all things audio and you tell me is the mm-hmm. conversation we have all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. And so we've got this sort of working relationship and then you bring in this new idea of uh, hyper clarity or very specific um, explicit instructions and how you're communicating. How do you then change that relationship? Like, do you just, is it as easy as I just start doing that as the leader now? That's just something that I put on me to learn and uh, to hold myself accountable to do? Or how does that actually happen when you go and you coach people that aren't doing this and then they start doing this with their team? Yeah, fair enough. And I've, I've done this in organizations for years. In fact, it's I used to do this as a leader. And then when I started my leadership development program, it's just, well, I've been doing this for years. And so I, I know that it works. Um, first, first of all, you pull, you pull the team together and you have to be prepared for what the new rules of engagement are. So you make sure you're prepared to answer questions and specify it. Um, but you pull your team together and say, look, you know, I've been thinking about something and I'd like to change the way we work. And I want to, I want to run this by you. I want to make sure that we all own it, that we, that we understand it. And so I want to explain some things to you. And here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'd like to do. You know, as we work together, there's five or six sort of language constructs that we can use. Um, first of all, I can, I can declare. And if I say, hey, I want to make a declaration. Um, starting next week, we are going to start looking at a different testing product, or we are going to um, start writing these backend services. I make some form of declaration. If you think about it, the Declaration of Independence was a declaration. So you could make a declaration to your family, we're going to move to Tennessee, you know, and it and look, you created a reality, right? So you say, so so here's how declarations are going to work. And you have to have the authority to make declarations, but here's how declarations are going to work. And then here's our requests. Here's what a request is. Here's what the construct is. And then, and there's other language constructs. I won't go into all of them. And we, we can go deeper if you'd like. But Get everybody talking about it, understanding it, and and then everybody making a commitment to do it. 
And then there's a certain amount of grace to say, oh, I made a mistake. Yeah, I know. I'm learning this. Learning, it takes time and practice and duration. But over time, as the group commits to it, that's the first thing you want is a commitment to it. They commit to it. They start working through it. And it 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 is so cool because it, it increases engagement. It, it, it increases trust. It increases reliability. And, and actually, it can be kind of fun. Like, hey, you know, you made a commitment and you, you know, people can start to have fun with it. But you got to get people together, have the conversation, and then get a commitment to it. Have you written a book on this, these different? I've been wanting to. Yeah. And it comes from, um, I had, I was thinking, in fact, in preparation for this call, I was thinking about, gosh, you know, how do I, how do I language this and practice this? And I was talking to Josh about it. And like the day before I was talking to my fiance, it was like syntactions, you know, cause I was thinking syntax, mm-hmm. you know, for computers and then syntactions. And I mainly work with IT leaders. I can work with any leaders, but so I was thinking about that. And I think I have all of the, the material to write a book on it. I just need to pull the trigger. Maybe I'll do a project where I delegate it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and just pay for it. Yeah. I that's how I did my book yeah. is I hired somebody and I met with them one hour a week for several months mm-hmm. and then a book came out. I needed to do that, yeah. Because I'm really good at being present uh-huh. and answering questions and talking things out. But if you give me work that I have to go do in private alone, it's not going to happen. Yeah. My first thing is to grab someone who can help. I don't know why I'm built like that, but I am. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, it's so helpful to understand how we're built. Um, I'm in a coaching program. I'm always in a coaching program. I'm always learning and paying people to help me. And um, I'm in a program now and um, we just did a, uh, there's all these assessments and tests you can take, Myers-Briggs and DISC. And so I just did one called Motivational Maps. And it is so cool. And what it is, is you find out what your motivators are. And when you do the work that motivates you, it gives you energy. And then I think there's eight categories. I haven't memorized them all. Um, but the, the ones that are the lower score, that's where you get help. Because if you do that work, it's going to drain you. And so it's super helpful in building an organization. I like to actually like get maybe get certified in it because it's just a, it's such it's such a great tool. But I, I appreciate what you said about writing the book because I, I think that's probably the way that that I'm going to need to go. Now the um, these syntactions, it's all based upon some prior work, right? Like we all build on each other's prior work, um, you know. And so it, it's built upon um, some of the work that Fernando Flores did, and, and called he called it speech acts, which is based upon some work that John Austin and John Searle, and it, and who knows who, what what they built it on. But it's all around language and linguistics and and how we talk and and that we do as humans, we do fish swim, people talk. I had to learn how to talk <laughs> differently. Like I said, when I was at computers, you'd be very assertive and you would just declare what you would want. Uh-huh. You'd be very uh-huh. specific and efficient with how you want yeah, that. Yeah. But with humans and our emotions, that can be taken as like you're a dick. Right. So you kind of, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what the professional term is for, but that's no, what everybody understood. Yeah. <laughs> so understanding, I got some feedback after my first year or two of running this business mm-hmm. and I, about how I had made certain people feel. And part of me is because I do have a stronger personality. My initial reaction was get over it, become stronger. Yeah. But I realize it's a somewhat of a meet me in the middle thing. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, they could be stronger, but I could also realize that they're not there yet. And maybe I kind of give them a little help along that journey yeah. and I, I'm not so sharp. And so I really learned how to 
be aware of of that. And I guess the way I would describe it was I was a little flippant, I guess mm-hmm. is the word. After I heard like uh-huh. three people in my life tell me that, I was like, okay, maybe I need to go Google what this word means. Because <laughs> I would just react quickly and react yeah. fast. And that yeah. had worked well for me yeah. to yeah. a certain point yeah. of maturity. Yeah. But then it stopped serving me as well. Uh-huh. And then I had to change. Yeah. Well, yeah. with some people, that will still serve you well. And I think what I've learned over the years, and part of it's just having taken so many, you know, assessments, DISC and, you know, Myers-Briggs and all the other ones is it's true people can come along to be more like you, but it is also true that people are who they are. You know, a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists have put people into categories for a reason. You know, there's some people that are very just assertive and dominant type A, and there's some other that are sort of like in, like quiet, and, and but they're analytical, and, and some are like caring and supportive. And I think understanding the type of person that you're working with, letting them be who they are, um, having expectations and holding them accountable and, and making sure they're in a space where they can be strong. But, and I think that's what a lot of about empathy is, is, is understanding, okay, like if I know that you're driven in type A and all of a sudden you're, 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 you're slacking off, you're not really doing your job and something's up. Like, hey, Joe, this isn't like you. Joel, this isn't like you. Is everything okay? Um, and we can have a conversation around that. But I, you know, um, for me, care, you know, that, that care, is, care has always been that sort of soft word, like, you know, like we care for each other. But to me, all humans require care. And my number one thing is, I'm, whoever I'm working with, how can I approach them with care and empathy, which means I'm, I'm thinking about their concerns as if they're my own, right? Because so often it's, it's, about, it's about us. Yeah, and one other thing I noticed too was, well, obviously I was very new. So previously... Mm-hmm. I was a co-founder. Yeah. I was the technical person. I could build the product. I could build the teams. I knew engineers. That was all really great. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time, these, these past six, seven years, this is the first time that I was the only one. So I had to mm-hmm. learn the sales side of things, the people side of things that weren't engineers. I knew mm-hmm. how to communicate pretty well with mm-hmm. them. And at first, one of the mistakes made was I had people that I didn't trust, and it was definitely because I was hiring the cheapest people I possibly could and they just didn't have the skills. So rightfully, I didn't trust them. And then I ended up doing a bunch of work and it, it was just a huge mess. Mm-hmm. I slowly found that if I get high quality people mm-hmm. that can execute in the given area that I need them to execute in, mm-hmm. my life becomes beautiful. Right, right. And then I just have to care about them. And that's one thing yeah. I, I found that you can't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I find you can't train that. You just like you can't train people to care. You have no. to find people who do care and then empower them. Yeah, I think you know I've had people who seem to have no empathy, and I've worked with them on care. And deep down, people do care, but it's like, what do they care about? And I think I think some people can develop empathy. I think others they try to do they try to change their behavior, but that's not caring. It's just you're acting like you care. You know what I mean? You touched on trusting people. And I think that's how, like, how do you define trust without using the word trust? <laughs> yeah. Without using the word trust. Uh, I believe let's, I'll, I'll try to make this up on the yeah, spot. That's okay. 
I guess when I like Josh, I trust him for audio. So it's like, uh-huh. why do I trust yeah. him? Yeah, why the, do you trust Josh? I don't think there group? was a very specific moment in time that I trusted him. Uh-huh. When I brought him on the team, I, I had gone through the interviews with him. Mm-hmm. I had my other audio engineers mm-hmm. interview with him. They said he's got the, the core skill set that we mm-hmm. need. And then it was just a time thing. Over time, he delivered. I found that if I left Josh alone, mm-hmm. uh, that he would do good things without me mm-hmm. having to push him to do good things. Mm-hmm. One specific example is we often over-record the show and then he chops it down. Mm-hmm. And at first, I used to be really worried about like which parts he would keep in and you know, re- yeah. wanting to make sure we got the main thing to be the main thing. Yeah. And I had sort of forgotten about it for four or five months. And then I went back and I was doing a review with Andrea, one of our uh, marketing people. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, look, all the episodes are you know this length. That's what I had asked for. And it, it was something that was beautiful because I had basically mentioned it once uh-huh. and he just kept it as a constant, very computer-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he kept, he kept that up. So that was a, a big plus one credit on the trust ledger that we have. Yeah, yeah. And that... We, we do so much just automatically. You know, we wake up in the morning and we get out of bed and we get a cup of coffee and we don't, you know, we're just not even thinking, right? Our subconscious is doing it and our mind's going thinking about the day. And we don't often think about the words that we use. And, you know, what in, in my work, what I do is, is sometimes people think I'm too picky about words, but, but words have meaning. And if words bring life into existence, then words are important. And so trust is a big one, right? And I, and I, and I, most people I say, you know, tell me what you think trust is. And I think people meant, you know, they, it's like, it's like, well, how do I experience it? How do I feel it? But if, so as you work with Josh, you think about that a second. When Josh says something, do you assess that he's sincere? Um, not consciously. And, and sincerity, it's hard to measure sincerity. It's like sincerity is if when somebody says something, it's consistent with what they're thinking, like their private conversations, because we're always talking to ourselves, right? So when Josh says something, you know, do you think, well, he's thinking that, he, I'm sure he's thinking the same thing that he's saying. Oh, I believe Josh is in sync with his words and yeah, his and thoughts. You, you yeah, and you don't think about it, right? But right. that's part of trust is like somebody is sincere. And then the other one is probably why you hired him, is he competent? Yes. Right. So if you hire somebody that's not competent, you're going to you're gonna jeopardize the trust, right? It's like you want to trust people, but you just hired somebody that's incompetent. Like, so you're going to have a problem. And, and people will do that. Like, oh, I think so-and-so will do a great job, but they're not competent. You can give them time to become competent, but, you know, but that's going to impact trust. And the other one is when Josh says he's going to do something, does he do it when he says he's going to do it? How you expect it to be done? Yes. So he's reliable. Yep. So those, those, are, those are the big, there's other ones, but those are the big components is sincerity, competence, and reliability. And when we're working with people, we can actually make assessments when we select people, are they trustworthy? And when we interview them, when we ask questions, we can then make an assessment of, you know, do I think this person's trustworthy or not? So it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting when you start getting into it. How do you do that in such a short time of knowing somebody, the trustworthy exercise? Yeah, I think several ways. One, behavioral interviewing is always good. You know, because it, it puts it puts somebody on the spot to like, okay, this is you know, this is how I handled this in the past. And interviewing is always interesting because you ask somebody a behavioral interview question, and they might say, well, you know, when you do this sort of thing, you know, what 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 you should do is like, no, I ask you, you know, when in your situation, tell me about a time when you did this. And that's why behavioral interviewing is so important is because they're explaining how they did something. Were they competent to do it? Were they reliable? Sincerity is a hard one. 
you yeah. know, if, whether, you know, that, that you kind of have to pick up on. And then I think um, making reference calls, you know, mm. and that, that's always a challenge because, you know, you, sometimes those are prepared and planted and that sort of thing. Um, but if you ask the right questions and you just like kind of like a podcast, you know, you forget that the camera's rolling and the microphone's on after a while. Same thing can happen when you're doing reference calls. They sort of like you just get in the conversation, they forget. Yeah, I only have one skill with the reference calls that I picked up by accident. I noticed that when I started doing them, so I started doing them based off a recommendation of somebody else that Mm -hmm. I looked up to, and I said, okay, I'm going to start doing those. And I would ask somebody, okay, any two people that could speak to your character, your work ethic that you've worked with or around, Mm -hmm. they would give me these two people and I would call and I would ask them a couple questions. And then one of them would be, if this person could work on anything, improve anything, what would it be? And then they always go to that, their strength is their, you know, weakness is their strength and all that. They're great, 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 great. But one time I found out that I had accidentally said something along the lines of, I'm always working on this. I was working on something at the time. So Uh I said that to the person. I was like, I'm working on this currently. That's what I'm trying to do. What is the one thing this person could work on? And when for some reason, I don't know why I haven't questioned it or looked deep into it, but when I offer up the example of what I'm working on and what I'm improving on, and then I ask them versus just straight up asking them, they'll give me the real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It it drops the guard. It, it, It makes it, I think it makes it safe. Because people want safety, you know, they mm-hmm. want they want to be assured that it, it's safe. Um, I think that's a lot of it. You know, I on the interviewing topic, I know a lot of your listeners are. I mean, everybody's interviewing, right? Um, um, one of the things I learned that might be helpful, and and some people do not like this, but I learned this w- during one of my interviews years ago. And there's a there's a firm out there called a GH Smart, um, and um, they have a whole practice around this. And the there's really two questions. And, and a statement. One is, uh, well, actually, three questions. One is, what's the name of your, Joel, what's the name of your boss? And like, if you had a boss, you'd say. <laughs> the marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, my boss is is Susan. Oh, okay. Susan, what's Susan's last name? Um, Smith. Oh, okay. Susan Smith. Yeah, I, I don't, I've heard of her. I, I think I might know her. Um, and I'm sincere if I, if I do or I don't, right? Um, all right. So if I was to call Susan this afternoon, and I said, hey, what are Joel's top three strengths and accomplishments? What would she tell me? And then you'd tell me. And I said, okay, now, you know, let's say I call Susan this afternoon and I ask her what three opportunities for improvement are. What are they? I almost always get what I believe to be sincere answers. Where normally if you'd say, ask somebody, you know, what do you think your top three strengths and weaknesses are? They're going to be like, you know, and these are famous interview questions, right? The stump speech but they when have. You, yeah. But when you, when you set it up with what's your boss's name? And if I was to, you know, it creates like this psychological context that, well, Joel really could call my boss this afternoon. And, um, and some people don't like it, you know, but I, to me, it's like, look, I, I need, I need answers on this. People right? haven't. People have been resistant to it. No, they, people. Well, people always answer the question, but they don't like it. But when I explain it to other people, like if I'm mentoring somebody, yeah, and I explain this method of of interviewing, they're like, "Ooh, you know, that just I'm not sure I can do that." You know, well, I, I'm in support of it because that's how humans work. For mm-hmm. example, if I said, "Pretend you're Bill Gates right now," you can do that without. There's mm-hmm. all humans that, relatively speaking. 80% of humans mm-hmm. can do that. You can just imagine you're someone else yeah. as a character. And so if you're jumping into that character of their boss, they're going to actually answer you through the eyes of what their boss yeah. would would say. I don't think that that's a weird 
thing yeah. at all. I yeah. think that's very good. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, again, for those listening, it's, 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 it works very effectively. Yes. And we should all be okay as interviewees answering that question, those questions. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, no, I'm, here's, you know, I got things I'm working on. I got strengths and, you know, I want to be as transparent as possible because you're making assessments of trust in advance, right? And it's way easier to live your life just being transparent and open. It's way harder if you're trying to keep checks and balances of who you told what to right. or what you've exaggerated. Right. And it takes a lot of introspection to figure out who you are, yeah. what drives you. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there's so much cost in the whole re- recruiting and hiring process. And don't be that person that, you know, is playing the game and make, you know, make creating costs on everybody. Right. Yeah. So interesting. So what are you seeing right now? You coach several different people. Are you seeing any trends across all, all the people you're coaching? One of the things, so I, if it, let's talk about my audience, you know, my, my, my clientele, if you will. I, I typically seek to work with people that are at the C-suite minus one. So let's call C-suite N, you know, N minus one, maybe N minus two, you know, and I've got a, I've got a program for new managers, emerging managers, and I've got a program for, you know, director level. Um, many of the, the problem, and I think the, the pandemic made this worse, and that's around relationship development, uh, visibility, building an identity, building um, eminence, and that's 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 the thing that's hardest and a lot of what's required especially if you're let's say you're a director of IT you know it's really important that you're known it's really important that your accomplishments are known your contributions are known it's important that you make offers of value and help to the organization and if you don't have relationships with people throughout the organization the the CMO the COO the CFO or 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 one level down it's going to be hard to be successful and so many, and you know, a lot of uh, highly technical people, they struggle with that. You know, I, I like to say, you're, you know, your functional skills, your technical skills get you hired, and at some level, it's the relationship skills, the communication skills, the emotional management, mood management skills, and more, that help you get promoted. And in fact, I think if I think of a lot of people that have been let go, a lot of times it's those it's those softer we call them soft skills. And there was a day when when I was looking around. This was like right after Y2K, and I noticed senior people leaving the company or getting demoted or marginalized. I'm like, what's going on? And I, I think at, at that point, I started to think, it's got to be the soft skills. You know, but what are soft skills? And so I started paying for coaching and, and paid for a teacher and started, oh, okay. You know, communication, relationships, emotional management, empathy, these things um, are really important. But I, I think as I look around, the biggest blockers for people are relationship, communication. I, we should go deeper into communication, but communication um, and then emotional and, and mood management. What Can you give me more detail or color around the specific communication things that are blocking them? Yeah. With, with communication, number one, and I think we're all familiar with this, is speaking the language of the person that you're, that you're talking to. And some people are good at that. Some people struggle with it. But it's that it's that translation, especially in a highly technical role. Um, if you're dealing with AI or security or cloud computing, and you start throwing jargon out, you're gonna they're gonna shut down right away. Um, and so speaking, you know, one of the things I talk to my clients about is 
understanding the person that you're speaking to. And this is one of the reasons we want to get out and develop relationships. You know, if you're the, the CEO, one of the reasons I want to spend time talking to you, asking you questions and getting to know you is this not just, just for visibility, but so when I talk to you, I'm speaking to your background listening. Like I'm, when I talk to you, you're, my words aren't going, you know, across the air into your ear and straight into your brain. That's, that's just not how it works, right? When I speak, your whole nervous system is triggered. You're listening to the words. You're listening to yourself assemble those words and like create meaning of them. And then you process that and then you respond, right? So I'm, you know, I try to work with people to, to speak to people's listening. And when people just talk, as if, well, you're going to understand what I say. And if you don't, you need to figure it out. Um, it's like, no, you know, I got to speak. And so that's why it's so common to use metaphors, create pictures, or maybe explain the meaning of something, depending on how much time you're going to spend with a person. Um, but that, that, is, that is a huge skill. And I, I often talk, um, a client will say, yeah, you know, I had, I had this presentation or I had this conversation and my message didn't land well. As if there was this, as there was this place in the body where it was going to land, and and it, you know it was up to them to to like take it off the landing pad and process it. It's like no, the reason it didn't land well is that you didn't speak to their background listening in a way that was meaningful and understandable, and they could act, they could act with it and work with it. So, to your point about listening, one thing that I have done, I've seen some other people do it, but mostly learned it from myself. Mm-hmm. I was early on in my career, I was building some software that helped take a manual process of working with autistic kids mm-hmm. and the skills that they would need to work on. And then they would, that would process, they would get government funding through it. Just mm-hmm. took paper and just made it digital, nothing special. Mm-hmm. But it forced me to read all of these assessments that they use with these autistic kids. Mm-hmm. I had one of them that I like checked yes to. And then I was like, well, okay, now I'll. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to research this. So what I noticed that I that I do and I actively always am trying to work on it to this day is when I want to listen and I really really care, here here's the mm-hmm. conflict. Mm-hmm. I would turn my ear towards them, mm. towards the person. So I'd turn my ear towards them and in their perspective, the way it looks to them, if I'm looking down and to the left and they're trying to look at me and I'm showing them my ear, it looks like I'm looking away and I'm not interested in mm. what they're saying, mm. but it's exactly the opposite. It's there's so much stuff going on around me mm-hmm. that I need to just completely narrow and focus in on, mm-hmm. on that. And when I learned how I was perceived like uh-huh. in that way, I, then started noticing that I picked it up from my dad because oh, after I started seeing uh-huh. him, after I yeah. learned that, I was yeah. like, oh, my dad does this. I probably picked it up from him as well. And so it's just been this ongoing thing I've tried to reduce uh, myself doing. But I think that's important because I do see a lot of really intelligent people that do that. Uh-huh. And I don't think that they understand. They're, they're thinking from their angle that they're being incredibly respectful and putting all of their attention uh-huh. on you. But so let me ask you a question. This this would be something that we do in coaching, yeah. right? So do you still think you listen better when you do that? I do. Okay. Yeah. And you want to be the best listener possible. Mm-hmm. So what would be a way that you could speak something to the other person to create a context that it would be okay for you to do that? I would just tell them. I'd say, hey, I noticed that I focus best. I'll turn my ear towards you. It's not that I'm not listening. I just want you to know that. Yeah. Yeah, and what does that what does that signal to them? I don't know. That you care. You know, it's sort of like we do this right now since we all went remote and 
you know, sometimes I'll have, if I, you know, I've got three monitors and if I have one over here and, and I've got some notes about them that I want to, you know, this is important to our conference, I'll say, hey, Joel, you know, if I look over here, it's because I've got some notes that are going to be important for a conversation. So I, I am present with you and I'm working with you because that's the thing is we all want to know the other person's present with us. And so if you were to say, hey, you know, just, just so you know, something about me is, you know, the way I'm, the way I, my body works is if I, if I turn my ear, it, it's going to help me listen better. So that's why I'm doing that. And if you did that to me, I'd be, oh, cool. That's different. I like that. You know, I mean, you're very self-aware, like, yeah. so that could be, a, that could be a very healthy thing. Podcasting is a great medium for me because I, when they're, re, when everyone's remote, I'm in ears. Off, yeah. And sometimes Josh has been pushing me to go yeah. over the ear in yeah. person. I haven't gotten there. Right. Have you, have you done that a lot on podcasts? You do over the ear stuff while no, you're in person? I, I don't. I, I, don't. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I've, I've thought. I've thought about it for sure. Um, I just like things more. What I consider to be natural. Yeah. You know, you know, I guess whatever is natural is whatever a person thinks is natural. But I, I, I just like it more natural. As long as, as long as the quality's there, and I don't get any complaints, I tend to like it. Just you know, sort of be free with my computer. Um, but what you what you talked about is one of the things that I I work with in coaching is you know it's kind of a funny. Some people aren't familiar with this term. It's called ontological coaching, and. Um, it's like, ooh, what is what ontological, you know? And I, and I try not to even use the word, um, but it is so powerful because everything we do, we do with our body. And we, we use language, we have emotions. And in fact, every memory we have stored is there's an emotion that goes with it that's stored. And we have our bodies. And so one of the things we do with, with ontological coaching and ontological design is we begin with our body and our way of being. And there's a really cool model. It's called um, observer action results. And if you think about it, if we want results, we need actions, right? And so if somebody is not getting the result they want and they keep doing this same action over and over again and not getting a different result, what's that called? Insanity. Insanity, yeah. right? <laughs> right. And so then, oh, so well, that's insanity. I'm not going to do that. So then what's the next thing we do? Oh, well, I got to change my actions. And so, you know, then I... You know, I keep doing that till I get the results I want. Well, what if you were to, we call it, take a step back and you're not getting the results you want, is go back to who you are as an observer. And most people don't really observe themselves. They just are. You wake up in the morning, you have a cup of coffee, right? It's just, we just are on autopilot. But what if you step back and say, okay, the observer that I am, how am I observing myself? How am I, am I observing the situation? And you can shift yourself as an observer. So you can shift your body, you can shift your language, the what, what are you saying to yourself? You can shift your emotions, go listen to some music or something. Shift yourself as an observer, you open up a whole new space of possibilities to design action than to, design, to, than to produce the results you want. And that's called second order learning. First order learning is if I just change my actions to get a different result. If I change, go back and change myself as an observer, then I produce different actions, and I and I can I think of so many times where the results I've gotten are so much better because I went back, took the time to go back to myself and observer. So I'm going to give you an example. You can tell me if I'm picking up on it sure, correctly. Yeah. I wanted to a few years ago. I wanted to be healthier, and I wanted to start running again. Mm -hmm. So I had read somewhere that you would shift your identity to start saying I am a runner, like even mm. on day one, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden you, you, you keep saying that and then you structure your life about what would a runner do while well, they would be involved with, I don't know, following running things on Instagram and they would go spend extra money on shoes that they wouldn't probably normally spend for right. the best running shoes yeah. and they would probably buy running clothes yeah. and then they would probably wake up and go running and then 
slowly just thinking, I would just wake up every day and say, I'm a runner, I'm a runner. I'm a, and then I eventually, I look back and I'm like, oh, I've been, you know, doing three to five miles every day for two yeah. years. And I just kind of became a runner from not being a runner. It's a great example. It's a great example. You know, and this is, this is really good because whether it's, you know, diet or exercise or picking up an instrument, you know, um, people, they want these results and they say, okay, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm starting tomorrow. I'm going to start running, right? What you did was second order learning or, or looking at yourself as an, as an observer. And what did you say? What, 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 I'm a runner. That's a declaration. Yeah. You made a declaration that I'm a runner. And then, so that's the language part of our way of being. And then how did that affect your emotion or your mood? Well, I mean, I felt good about it on the short term, obviously, because the new declaration can feel feel good mm -hmm. in, in the moment. Mm -hmm. But the real test came, I think, the next morning when I woke up and I said, oh, that yesterday Joel is doing that whole running thing. Is that going to, am I going to do that? And then I said, yeah, I mean, that's my, I'm choosing my identity to be a runner. And then I just said, all I have to do is not worry about three years or four years. I just have to wake up today and, and choose yeah. it today. Yeah. And then I just did it. Yeah for years. Yeah, so you 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 were exactly doing that. Mm -hmm. The the way of being and looking at your, your way of being and and there's a, it's an interesting intersection. Um, it's actually a Venn diagram when you think of body, language and emotions. And, and emotions and moods go together. They're different. But emotions, there's somebody some people would say emotion stands for energy and motion. And there are certain emotions like sadness or grief that shut down possibilities for thinking and acting. If you wake up and you're really sad about something, it's hard to get out of bed, you know? And, and there's, there's language that goes along with that. Oh, you know, I'm so sad today. You know, I, I lost a pet or whatever it might be. And that's part of being human. But the, the emotion and the language go together and, and then they, they, they impact your body. And so I can say things to myself like affirmations yeah. that trigger my emotion and shift my mood. Right. And then from there, I can then that'll shift my body. So if I'm backstage and I'm like, you know, just not, you know, not so sure about my talk, maybe I didn't prepare enough. I'm a little nervous or whatever. You know, I'm a great speaker. You know, I can do this. I'm prepared. You know, people want to listen mm -hmm. to me. All of a sudden, my emotions getting good. My body's getting, I'm breathing better. And my the whole thing just starts to come together in a way that you're just better position to do a presentation than if you sit backstage, oh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid they're not going to like me. I'm not really prepared, you know, whatever. Um, that's going to affect body language, emotion as you go forward. I used to think it was stupid. I would see the personal development stuff and I was like, that those people are crazy. <laughs> it's biological. I was like, this is, this is so yeah. stupid. And then I got frustrated enough and I, at a point in my life and some a guy, I heard a guy named Jim Rowan say oh, yeah. for things to change, you've got to change. Or the mm -hmm. most frustrating thing in the world is um, expecting above average results without being an above average person. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, well maybe this self-development area has some legitimacy towards it. And I, I actually got to the end of my rope and I said, well, I've tried everything. Nothing works. And then I heard someone say, did you really try everything? Yeah. And I was like, well, no, there's a couple areas that I actively avoid because I know that they're stupid. And I was like, yeah. well, you know what? Life is long. I've done plenty of stupid things. Let's just go hang out in the areas I've been dismissing this whole time right. and see if there's anything there. Yeah. And there was. It was the whole personal. I've yeah. got on my phone every, every other day. I'm pretty consistent about it. 
I have, it's um, David McGraw, like some power affirmations. Mm-hmm. It's just like a 12 minute midday break thing where he just says a bunch of different things. And if in the morning I wake up and I'm mm-hmm. a little bit not wanting to get out of bed mm-hmm. type deal, I'll put those on. Mm-hmm. If I'm after lunch or if I'm having kind of a rough day and I notice I'm tense, I'll go listen to that. Yeah. And it, because he's saying the things of like who I want to be, right. you right. know? Oh, I'm a big believer in it. Yeah, and that that language triggers your emotion and your yeah. mood, and it affects your body and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are people experiencing when they reach out to you? Like, why? Like, what's happening in my life that I'm like, I need to go work with Bill? Yeah, most people that reach out to me are feeling stuck. You know, they've been trying to get promoted. It's usually they've been trying to get promoted. They've been trying to make more money, or they've been trying to get a job, and nothing seems to be working. And, you know, they'll, they'll look at my background and like, well, he seems to, especially in technology, you know, he seems like he, he was able to become a vice president and a CIO, a CTO. And so I'm, you know, sort of like, I've, I've tried everything, you know, I, I, you know, and so that, that's often when, when people, well, people reach out to me, CIOs, senior leaders, CTOs will reach out to me if they have a team and they're not getting the results they want. The team's, the team's not working well together. There's a leadership gap. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people retiring and, and um, the, the, there's just a need for leadership development. A lot of companies now, they're, they're not investing as much in leadership development. They're going outside. I know. Um, yeah. And so, like I said earlier, you know, when I, when I work with people, people experience a transformation. You know, every client that I've worked with has experienced, you know, some form of transformation. And, and oftentimes it's personal, not just professional. You know, they're they're get they're healthier. They're 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 being becoming better spouses or partners. Um, they're they're keeping their commitments. They're becoming reliable. They're becoming trustworthy. Um, they're becoming competent. Like they're 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 starting to value learning and becoming competent because of the importance of that. Um, so that, those are just some of the things. When we had the leadership training business as our core business, the thing that I found very interesting that I wasn't expecting is that most people wanted to pay for it personally. They did not want their company to oh, pay for it. Yeah. Because they wanted to improve themselves and grow themselves and they didn't want to go to their company and have to ask for it. And you know, my job is not to tell the market to change. It's just to pay attention to what's yeah. happening in the market. And I like how I see the market mm-hmm. too, which is highly qualified, experienced people with a group of clients and then you just really dive into them and work with them directly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of my best clients are the ones that pay because yeah. they came out of it. And that's yeah. I spent over a hundred thousand dollars on coaching yeah. over the last twenty years, and I I've got a multiple return on the investment. You know, over the course of my career, and so um, yeah, I firmly believe that. You know, and if 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 I go into a corporation, which I I, I have corporate programs too, and people are told they're going to go do it, you know, you get about thirty percent of the people that are like, oh, I can't wait. 30% of the people that, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to do the work. This is going to be good. And 30% like, oh, I don't know if I have time for this. And, um, but they, when they all come out of it, they're all, um, like I had one program, I had 12 people and uh, companies going global and four of the 12 uh, took the top four spots in the global reorg. And so, you know, it's, it's, we're getting the outcomes that we're after. When people come to you, I know this is going to be highly specific to the person, mm-hmm. but in general, maybe people out there that are looking for a job, Mm-hmm. They're making that transition. And you said you've coached some people who are in that spot and they get frustrated and they mm-hmm. come reach out to you. What do you look at first? 
people that are looking for a job. Yeah. The first thing I always look at is, are they open, teachable, and do they have an ambition? Um, and I, there's this concept that I learned from, from my coach from years ago, which is there's plus self, minus self, zero self. Plus self is somebody that they think they know it all. They don't think they, they, they have much to learn. Um, zero is it, when it suits them. And minus self are like, I need help. I know I need help. And, and I don't know it all. And so I won't take clients if I have an assessment that are plus self. And, and, and zero is like, eh. Um, but it's usually people that they know they need help. They want help. They're hungry. They're willing to do the work. People that come to me in that job search and branding and all that, because I, I have a personal branding and job search program, it's not easy. And you might know that one of the hardest things to do, and I've done this several times in my life, one of the hardest things to do is go through that process of who am I, what do I want, what's my brand, you know, and I make people go from a bunch of bullets down to a, pair, a, a elevator speech. What's your elevator speech? One sentence, what, one sentence that describes your brand, and, and it's got to be punchy, right? And then they build all these, these um, uh, like content assets, like digital assets, like all the narratives and stuff. And then you start putting that together in a resume or a LinkedIn profile. It's just like, it's like when people do marketing and versus a lot of people, they go straight to the resume. And it's like, okay, I need to update my resume. You know, what are the bullets? It's like, no, that's, it's sort of like writing software. That's, that's the last thing you do. And it's not, you know, it's not all the work. The hard part is doing all the analysis and all that design and upfront work. Yeah. I, we see a lot of LinkedIn profiles and a lot of bios. It's on every prep sheet, the LinkedIn bio of the individual yeah. I'm talking to. So I've mm-hmm. seen north of 600 of them. And there is definitely a difference in quality. There's, yeah. a, there's a huge difference in quality when you see someone who's been intentional about often when they get to the stage where they have a book, they typically will have like it really well organized. Mm-hmm. But there are people that don't have books that also are very clear about the problem they're trying to solve and who who they help. And mm-hmm. they're just they you're you nailed it. They market themselves well. Mm-hmm. So is that a service you offer or do you is that mixed in with your coaching? How does that work? Yeah, that's a that's a service I offer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't do as much of it these days just because I'm so so busy with the other work, but um, I'm, I'm helping somebody. I have, I actually have two clients right now. I'm helping with that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I make sure they want to do the work because it's a lot of work. There's and it, it also goes back to some people like to do different things. We talked earlier about some people like to, you know some people like to do personal reflection and branding and and really spend time on who they are and what they have to offer, what they've accomplished, and how to craft that. Other people want to phone it in, and if you're one of the people that want to phone it in, get help. It's worth it. You know, I mean, it, it, it's because, you know, you think about what you're going to make in the future. And I always work when I'm working with people, it's like you want that starting. If you're if you're going for salary with with a package, you want that to be as high as possible when you start because you're at that organ. You're setting the floor there. Right. So you want to set that floor as high as possible. Yeah. You, you never have to convince me to get as much money as, <laughs> as available. Right, right, yeah. That's right. like a default, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't yeah. go. It's, it's really hard to go. To go up, yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's way yeah. easier to have something high and then let them yeah. figure yeah. out where it, where yeah. it's at. But yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So, what is your website? What is your LinkedIn? Yeah, people can find me at www.tingleleadership.com, and there's some information there, and you can set up a call with me if you want to talk. And then on my LinkedIn profile, I don't know if I remembered it, but Bill G Tingle. I think it's yeah. Bill G Tingle. You'll you just search me. You'll you'll find me, and you can you can people can DM me there. 
This is great, man. Is there anything that we didn't cover that we want to get out there to the world? Bill is awesome. Go to Tingle Leadership. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we made a podcast. How do you feel? Great. Nice. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.